Hello everyone and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team. With Dairy Australia's March Situation and Outlook report being released this week, we thought it would be a great chance to speak with someone who is passionate about the dairy industry and about how milk can become a more valuable product for farmers. In 2016, Sally Jones started Gippsland Jersey with her business partner Steve Ronalds and has grown the private milk label into a genuine success story and a feel-good story for the dairy industry. Sally, who is joined in this podcast by Dairy Australia's analyst John Droppert, believes that farmers will struggle so long as milk is undervalued and sells for less than a bottle of water. Sally's got some strong opinions and interesting ideas here, so sit back and enjoy this fascinating discussion. I guess one thing I'm really interested in, and, and, and I think a lot of farmers would be interested in, is, is I guess the nuts and bolts behind the story. And, and you know, you make it look easy, even though it, it obviously isn't easy. Um, you know, going from, um, you know, going from, from farmer and marketing pro to, to owning a milk brand. I mean, what's the, you know, is it, is it getting easier? Um, what's the, you know, do you, do you still, are you still on a wild ride or, you know, the challenge is changing over time? Um, yeah, where, where, where are you guys at with the brand? The brand is about four and a half years in now. And it really has been a wild ride from crowdfunding to get my dad's milk factory out of cobwebs to being sacked by our milk processor and having four weeks notice to um, a milk recall. <laughs> um, you know, there are so many challenges within Gippsland Jersey that we've had to overcome. And certainly we like to think that through every adversity we come out stronger and we see it as an opportunity to um, extend ourselves and, and think outside the box. Um, for me personally, it has been something that I've poured all of my grief into after my dad took his life in 2016. And for me, Gippsland Jersey has been um, just a way that I've dealt with my grief and it's been such an opportunity to and privilege to have um, and to create a brand with Steve that is an honour project for my dad. And I think, you know, I'm not necessarily, Gippsland Jersey in itself isn't necessarily doing anything new. <laughs> it's been well and truly done before and especially I guess my example of that is with my dad um, who also was a milk processor and got bought out by Parmalash in, um, in the 90s, I believe, for about a million bucks. And um, I, I, I guess I was too young to really grasp and understand all of that, but it's certainly, you know, there's a political mind field when you come to being a milk processor. What's it like setting up a milk factory? Like, uh, uh, you know, there's plenty of photos on Facebook of Steve on the end of a shovel and, um, <laughs> you know, permits coming through or not coming through. And, um, I mean, a, a lot of farmers, or all farmers, are familiar with the red tape around, you know, getting the milk into the vat. Is it presumably at least as complicated on the other side of things? How do you kind of navigate that? Yeah, look, I can't take any credit. Steve's done all the grunt work. We had no, we had very limited budget to, to open our milk factory. And yes, you're right, the, the opening a dairy factory is fraught with red tape. Um, it is highly regulated. Um, and thankfully, Steve can do the paperwork and has the patience to what he would argue to say he doesn't enjoy it. Um, but yeah, very grateful for his skill set in terms of navigating all of that. Um, 
you know, our little milk factory is located in Lakes Entrance on my family farm, which is 380 acres of, it's also certified organic and um, there's a little dairy um, uh, next to the factory. So my dad built this factory in the 80s where he wanted to value add to his milk um, because he was sick of having to go offshore and supplement the farm's income just to, you know, just to sort of keep the farm. So um, really interesting, well ahead of his time, very much a pioneer. He was the first one to obtain a dairy um, license in Australia for being on farm, set up right next to the next to the dairy shed. So the milk would just come in and would be piped through the wall and into the factory. So pretty cool. And then um, he churned, we yeah, churned ice cream and then had ice cream shops. So it was full circular economy, closed loop, like family business. Like we were all work and I think we all worked and we learned how to work hard. And um, yeah, I guess I, I've, you know, very grateful for the opportunity of being involved in that growing up because I don't know if I would have the confidence or, you know, the willingness to have a crack at creating a milk brand um, for myself. You know, the logistics are a bit more complicated now, obviously, with Gippsland, Jersey, um, you know, the, the main farm at Jindavik, and, and now you've got other suppliers around this sort of West Gippsland area. Um, you know, just hauling the milk down to, to lakes and back, I mean, is that a, is that a complicated exercise or is it, it it's just a cost? Um, how's that, that set up working for you guys? Yeah, look, Lakes Entrance isn't necessarily the ideal location to have a milk factory. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, hauling milk uh, three hours east of um, Warrigal to be processed to then be returned by a truck to be distributed into Melbourne isn't, isn't you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But at the time when we were pressed up against the wall, that was the only solution we had. Um, we didn't have millions of dollars to, to build a facility that was, um, you know, ideally located, mm. which if you're going to pick an ideal location, it is in the heartland of, you know, West Gippsland, where the milk source is. And we have three suppliers now supplying their milk and looking and um, we're looking for a fourth supplier. So we're going out to market and, you know, really trying to date what farmer we want to bring on into the fold as well. Yes, yeah, so it's a bit of, you know, farmer wants a milk processor or, or milk processor <laughs> wants a farmer. Um, and I guess, you know, philosophically, I'm, I'm interested in that, and we sort of touched on it earlier. Um, as you pick up more farmers, I mean, do you, do you make that transition? Well, you effectively are a milk processor. Um, you know, that's a, you know, it's a term that's, uh, you know, t taken on some different meaning in, 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 in recent years. I mean, do you, uh, you know, it's probably a bit different with three or four suppliers, but I mean, do you see that philosophically sort of changing things over the, you know, over the longer term if you, if you continue to grow as, as you certainly have over the, you know, the, the years we've seen so far. Do you, do, you see, do you see the business changing as you take on more people, more, more farmers? Um, you know, you, you kind of dilute that original kind of energy that you guys started with, or does it, does it tend to build, you know, with the business? That's our challenge. You know, I think for us, we never want to lose the heart of why and who we are. We uh, don't want farmers to become numbers. We want them to be valued and respected for what they do. Um, so that is really, you know, our challenge. And as I think, as we do grow, we've had phenomenal growth and we're so grateful to um, 
have had the support that we've had in terms of you know consumers choosing to buy our milk off the shelf um it's been incredible so i think yeah moving forward and and we are going through those pain points right now um as to how we mindfully set up a culture which you know culture's the big thing of how we do things and and you know for us it's people come first over profit essentially and um we just need to know, or we just, need, I guess, need to have a firm grip on making sure we've got people in place that can manage the growth um, with us. To this point, you know, we've had, it's just been the two of us that have, have, have sort of steered this ship, but we're sort of getting to that point to go, all right, um, in order for us to grow, we have to trust more people um, and bring them into our business to, to take over the reins and, uh, you know, and do it, which for me, I struggle. Steve, Steve's a really good people manager. Mm. Um, I'm not, you'll ask my husband, he'll say I'm a terrible communicator. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just sort of expect everything, everyone to understand what's going on in my head. Um, yeah, but look, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly just gonna be our challenge as, as we move forward. You know, you guys are obviously selling a product that, um, you know, it's at a higher price point. Um, it's, um, you know, so, so that, that you, you need to generate that ongoing loyalty from buyers, you know, you, you need to generate the loyalty from, um, from, from retailers because, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty, of, uh, plenty of attempts to imitate something that, that sells for a premium. Um, and, and even, you know, even in my local, uh, you know, Bunyip Rural Supplies, you know, it's a hardware store, they, they bought a fridge and they, you know, they sell Gippsland Jersey products in a hardware store at the drive-through. Um, you know, you, you can also get it at Woolies. So you've managed to stitch together this this um, whole group of retailers. You know, there's there's all the coffee shops that, that use it as well. Um, how do you how do you kind of maintain that momentum when there's you know when, when it does involve paying more money? Um, how do you get people to buy into the story? Yeah, good question. Um, so we have a really good relationship with Woolworths. It was backdoored. It was uh, through a mum in my mum's group who was married to a guy that worked at Woolies who obviously authentically saw Gippsland Jersey unfold um, and how it you know, happened. And he some, then got a, a, a move up to Sydney and I guess was able to share on behalf of me without me even having to go up there and pitch. Yeah, right. um, our brand or anything we just somehow got the invitation to supply Woolworths and they certainly um, do not undercut us any in any way so they pay the same uh, as the bakery or the you know general store which we're very grateful for but I do recall you know that those meetings in the early days and being so naive I guess and and showing up with maybe a bit more front than Myers um, <laughs> <laughs> and we, I remember we, we met in um, in a bakery, I think down in Lean Gatha, with the local sourcing manager who makes the decisions on, you know, do we accept your brand or don't we accept your brand? And anyway, it was at the time when, um, you know, one dollar milk was quite, con it's still controversial, and 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 people have really strong thoughts on it. And I remember him sort of saying to us well you know would you like to be a supplier and all that kind of stuff and we're like having those discussions and you know i said oh and why and while we're at it i said <clears throat> how about having a thought about pulling off all your one dollar milk you know because it takes up most of the fridge and we're potentially getting one shelf but how do we ever compete with one dollar milk 
um, you know, versus the brand that is local and that we're trying to do all this stuff. And and um, and it was quite a an intense conversation. And uh, Steve was just kicking me under the table, going like with grunted teeth, like, "Do you want the deal or don't you want the deal?" You know, like it was just one of those conversations that you never kind of forget. Um, but I think people love I mean obviously we're premium milk as well like so we're higher in fat we're higher in protein people love the taste of Jersey milk um, there's not a lot on the market mm. and um, they love what I think we're on about so we're, we're not just a milk company that's just trying to go out and you know build ourselves or buy more farms or anything like we could Steve and I actually aren't financially motivated at all like we're actually about like how can we truly be for the greater good of Gippsland dairy farmers and how can we make sure that um, the suppliers that we have are you know part of it part of a some part of something that they're proud of as well um, we have three pillars to our brand one is that farmers must be paid a fair price the second one is a commitment to creating social change in rural mental health mm -hmm. And then the third one's just simple and honest kindness. And we, I guess we just try to do that with everything in our day-to-day -day decisions. It's just like, how do you, how do you, um, you know, just be a good human and do good, honest business and not try and stab each other, people in the back. And, you know, I think we've all experienced those, those times when that's happened to us and it's not good for your mental health. Mm. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, so not a lot of people know that we do keep a little bit of portion of our money aside, that we do random acts of kindness uh, for farmers. And um, oh, I was actually just reminded of this story the other day where someone read about, a farmer read about, a dairy farmer, in fact, read about our story in the Weekly Times. And he called me and we had like this three hour conversation on the phone and it was at the time where he was battling drought and he had millions of dollars of debt and I think it was just a little bit of a, geez, you know, I just need to sort of debrief here and, and, and he rang me because he was interested in what we were doing and wanted to congratulate and everything but the conversation deepened and mm. in that conversation uh, I guess I discovered that things were pretty, you know, pretty tough for him. There's a lot of ego with dairy farmers. <laughs> a lot of ego with everyone, I think. Yeah, yeah but you know, we you're building a business. Proud, it's it's yeah. often a generational business. Absolutely, it's and you know, and you don't want to fail. Stuff. Yeah, and you don't want to put your hand up and say things are hard. Like it's just not something that Aussie guys do. Like my dad certainly would never admit to that kind of stuff. So it is about how how we can change that. So in the in amongst this conversation, I got his address and um, just rang the local bed company and um, got them to deliver a bed because I knew that he was sleeping on a camping mattress right. in this house. And the bed company called me and said, oh, geez, we've just rocked up and we've tried to deliver this bed and the farmer doesn't know what's happening. Like he just can't understand why he's getting this bed. Um, anyway, we've explained that you've ordered and you've paid for it and that's all good. Anyway didn't you know it was just sort of wondering how that was received at the other end anyway to about three days later he called me and he's a man that has many words but he said sally um i don't understand why you would give away your profits like why would you do this and i said because that's what gets steve and i up out of bed every morning it's like why be in business if you can't genuinely 
love what you do and want to make a difference. And this is like a bet. Like this is we're not talking about you know we paid off your farm debt. Yeah. You know, but I think you know it's those kind of experiences for Steve and I in our business, and that's the heartbeat. And you know, he said, you know, no one's ever shown kindness to me before. Maybe my wife or whatever, but. It was just this really cool feeling to say, we are creating a brand that, um, uh, you know, people, I guess, are on board with. They may not truly understand they buy our brand either because it's locally owned, it's Australian owned, or it's they know some of the backstory or they buy in the fact that the fact, you know, that we are on about mental health or they like the taste of it. You know, there's many, there's many um, reasons yeah. why people might choose to buy our milk. Sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. Absolutely. No, that's, um, that's, that's totally fine. I've got so many sort of rabbit holes that I want to duck down <laughs> on there. But, um, you know, it's, I guess, the story and then and the reach right back through to, to the farmers and, and, you know, out to the consumers at the other end is going to be so critical. And there's what we see from, a, from an industry perspective at the moment. I mean, there's so many, um, there's such a, a divergence in the milk cabinet you've got you know the cheap milk is is the mass product um, but there are so many brands kind of trying to land in that top that top part of the shelf where you know whether they're a2 or organic or um, you know, fat skinny yeah yeah, yeah the, the that, classic that, um, ad right yeah. <laughs> yeah just want some just want some, some milk, milk that tastes yeah. like milk well um, I think you know part of it is around education so you know we're not in a lot of cafes because we are, we are actually a premium priced milk. And it costs a cafe about five to seven cents extra per cup of coffee to use Gippsland Jersey. And, you know, that's when you add that up, that's a fair bit of money. But my conversation with them is to say, well, okay, put your coffee up 20 cents. Most people paying by card, they don't really care about 10, 20 cents pay us whatever the difference is that you're paying now and then keep the profits and tell your customers what you're doing. Um, tell them that um, they're getting the best premium milk that is has a, an, a provenance story and that we're doing good things within our region. Um, that's values people, you know, and creates jobs and all that kind of stuff and the profits stay here in Australia. So we're, we're about to um, invite or send out invitations to all of the baristas in Victoria, um, all the hipsters in Melbourne to come out to the farm and get out of their white sneakers and get, you know, um, you know, get some poo on their shoes, pat a cow, because they need to know that the milk that they're putting into their coffee takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears, you know? There's not a lot of value placed on white milk. Well, they worry about the cocoa beans and where they're from. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of known around the, the DA office as being a bit of an international roast drinker. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe you set up, set them up with a table of international roast and some Gippsland <laughs> jersey and you know, wouldn't tell the difference. Uh, yeah, from, well, you know, fair trade cocoa beans. And and that's and that's it. People, these um, you know baristas, they know so much about the beans, but they know nothing about milk, which makes up most of the cup of coffee. Mm. And so we're inviting them to come to the farm because you know if we're asking them to pay more for their milk, then why the hell would they do that without being educated on on and and meeting? So we're meeting the farmer, so they'll get to ask questions and talk about and understand seasonality and fat and protein and variety of you know why 
gold cows and produce different milk to the black and white cows and mm. all of those things and why their coffees are a bit flat at different times of the season. And then for us as a brand to take that feedback and, and I guess try and work with these guys too. So there's a concept that, you know, that's probably, you know, beyond the, the amount of time we've got available around the intransigent minority, I think, in, in marketing terms. And, and I'm not going to try and market marketing terms to you because you, you're the marketing pro in the room. But, you know, the it basically explains why you get a lot of brands that will, you know, go and get GMO-free certification or, you know, will go organic or because, you know, they, they might get that extra 5% of customers for each um, you know, each box they tick effectively, you know, halal, kosher, all those things sort of fit the same, um, you know, the same reasoning. Is there a temptation for, for Gippsland Jersey? I mean, you know, you talk about the hipster, the hipster baristas and, uh, and you know, you've obviously come from an, a dairy, an organic dairy background originally with, you know, Riviera and everything. Is there a temptation to go down that pathway of, you know, let's say box ticking, but, um, of, of, you know, adding to that kind of, uh, uh, proposition, or do you think um, you know? Do you think what you guys have and and, and what your farmers um, you know are producing? Do you think that stands alone and and it can actually not push back on, but can you know is competing with some of those other milks that are on the shelf? Um, you know that might have those attributes, but obviously don't have your story. Yeah, so we've got a pretty compelling um, story and, and and provenance and all that kind of stuff, which you know I don't think. You, you just can't make that up in a marketing mm. agency. It's from a lived and a real place um, as to why we do what we do. But yeah, like we've certainly talked about how we can be better and how we can, um, I guess, have, uh, you know, a, a stamp that gives people the confidence that we are on board with animal welfare and the standard of how we do it. So we've talked about developing up a code of um, like a farming, you know, if you're as a supplier, then we would sort of like spell out how it is that we want you to sort of essentially manage your farm and how you manage your cows and things like that. And at the moment, because there are three suppliers, um, three farmers on board, that's quite manageable because we're in this little Facebook messenger group and everyone just goes, all right, so we're doing this and we're doing that. let's use this and they all beat to the same drum which then gives us consistent milk yeah yeah quality um so that's fantastic but we do i guess with vegan things like that we haven't um necessarily been under the hammer too much with them like other brands that have been you know really attacked really hammered yeah um but that has made us think about um yeah ethics and how we do it now obviously very Part of um, part of ours is like you know we're very transparent, so we always say to anyone if someone asks any questions, we invite them to the farm and they can see for their own eyes, you know, come and have a look. You mm. know, there's some issues within dairy that we're not proud of, such as bobby calves, and that's probably the biggest question we always get is what do you do with the bobby calves? Yep. Um, you know, it's not great, but. Um, <sighs> it's also a fact of life and how it is like obviously there's a bit of a push now to use um sexed semen and all that kind of stuff but yeah 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 um but you know for the uneducated um you know person that hasn't grown up in an agricultural setting it's very hard i guess to 
make them understand. It's a different mindset. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Look, and look, I remember the South Gippsland Dairy Expo when um, we were out in the middle of the Oval and we had this little competition with um, one hand, uh, it was like one hand, one minute, uh, one oh, hand, the, one the, minute. The milking. Yeah, yeah the milk the off, the big yeah. milk off. Um, and the vegans stormed on just as we cranked up the, you know, the milkshake or song, whatever. How'd they, how'd they find Karambara? No idea, but they stormed onto that oval with their placards. Were you there? No, you I wasn't there. Placards. I'm going to go and look that up on YouTube now. The, um, the megaphones and calling dairy, like it was at lunchtime, so everyone was sort of hanging around the canteen and they came in and said, um, you know, dairy farmers are rapists and they're murderers and... Everyone just stood around like with their mouths dropped, just going, what the hell? You know, what has just happened here? (laughs) And I was sort of standing there in this gold dress with the, you know, the sort of, it was like, you know, some some sort of scene out of some comedy TV show. And um, it sort of took a while for the farmers then to sort of get a bit mouthy back to say, yeah, well, you know, it was sort of all on. And anyway, the police came and they pushed them all out and... And, um, but it did rattle, I not rattled one of our dairy farmers to say, well, sh- shivers, I'm going home to put cameras in because these people are vicious, you know? Yeah. Um, it was like you were almost shamed into being a criminal and that really messes with mindset. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it's not, it's not a nice thing to be, to come under criticism like that. And, th- and these are good farmers, you know, they're, they're hand on heart amazing at what they do. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, that's, you know, it's, I think part of the part of the mindset of, of going down these pathways of you know this free and that free and yeah is isn't it it's to try and I guess you, you don't have to outrun the line but you have to outrun the, the next person sort of thing mm. obviously you know Gippsland Jersey is, is is doing pretty well at the moment you know growing strongly um, probably not going to have all farmers in Victoria on board in the next <laughs> kind of five or ten years what um what would you like to see the broader industry, I guess, take from, from the way you guys operate? And, you know, your, your story isn't, you know, it's not a copy-paste story that, that anyone can, can do. They, they can't all be like you. But what would you like to see, I guess, other milk processors, other farmers, you know, the industry as a whole, what would you like to see the industry do better that kind of, you know, what do you do that you'd like to see other people pick up? I think there is so much opportunity for value-adding in dairy. So in Gippsland... Um, food and fibre is worth $7 billion and dairy makes up $3.5 billion of that. So it is big business. Yeah. But there's not a lot of value adding that happens right here in our backyard. So I believe that there's opportunities maybe um, for innovation around how we can create more products in our backyard. Um, why should we be hauling milk somewhere into Melbourne or, you know, whatever, for them to be reaping the benefits. I think we need to keep it keep it back here. I am just such a lover of the dairy industry and, and there's so much opportunity, you know, by having a beautiful milk source and a manufacturing plant, we can make anything. You know, my mind explodes with all these things and collaborations with different, you know, products to create something else. like. Um, we're working with CSIRO at the moment to, I guess, innovate and um, develop new products and, and things like that. Look, nothing's new, essentially. Like, everything's been done in the past, but it's, um, yeah, how to 
you know, create delicious products that chefs really desire and they want to put, and they're really pl- proud to put on their plate. So, you know, I spent a lot of, well, I was trying to spend more time in Melbourne this year and, and, and going in and personally seeing these te- top chefs. I went and saw Andrew McConnell the other day, who's, you know, arguably one of Melbourne's best chefs. Yep. And um, I wasn't really prepared. I've got no idea who's who in the zoo when it all comes to this stuff. I'm just like living in a shell in Gippsland. But I somehow got an introduction and I had one little measly roll of our cultured butter and walked in, got the introduction. Um, he took the butter, he ripped the top off the butter, he grabbed a spoon, took a big mouthful and goes, that's the best butter. Yeah, he right. goes, it's better than any butter I've had. Yep, Amazing. like happy to bring it on. I'm like, wow, you know, and that's, I guess, a really big moment for a little processor in yeah. Gippsland. Um, but also, I guess I understand that it's not a viable or um, practical option or thought for most dairy farmers to go and go, oh, geez, I'm going to go and start a milk brand. Yeah. Because it is so much hard work and there's no way we could do this if, um, you know, if we're out there milking cows day in, day out, because um, it's just not sustainable. There's so much work to be done in the brand and on the brand and you've got to be out and about, you've got to be pounding the pavement going to the people because mm. it's not enough just to put milk in a bottle you have to you have to put it in front of people's faces and um you know i think for me i was just obviously lucky enough to identify myself that um i i position myself right in the middle like a connector of you know i'm not out milking cows i personally i hate having cow poo smell in my hair i can't deal <laughs> with it I hate it. That, that's the downfall of, this, of, uh, of dairy. I remember being at the farmers markets when they all kicked on in Melbourne back in the early 2000s and paying my rent by selling my dad's produce at the farmers markets and, and the consumers were like, so tell me about farm life, tell me about this, tell me about the cows or whatever. And I just remember ringing dad saying, oh, all these city slickers just want to know, uh, you know, the, the silliest answers to to questions that you don't even think twice about. And that was quite a life-defining moment because I'm like, I am, I totally understand both sides of the fence here and I'm happy to play that connecting role of knowing what the consumer wants but also knowing how the dairy farmer thinks and operates as well yeah, and, yeah. And, and getting a good product into a bottle. Bringing the two together. Yeah. And I guess I wanted to ask about another thing that you guys are working on which is uh, which is the calendar, which I think people see kind of the post come up and if they're not really involved, it's um, it's probably something that, you know, it looks like a bit of fun every so often. You know, it's obviously a, uh, an important cause behind it. I mean, is that something, um, do you want to talk a bit about that community? And, yeah. and, and you know, it's, again, speaks to what you were saying before about it, you know, it's not, not just paying the rent and, uh, and, no. and return on equity, but um, sort of something that your yeah, business does with the, you know, the, the three pillars there. Yeah, so um, the idea around creating a yearly calendar that includes 12 Gippsland dairy farmers for them to tell their story and often there's a mental health learning or story or whatever it is, it's pretty hard to get their life story into two or 300 words but it is offering them a platform and often the process of the calendar is a form of counselling. So farmers, you know, inadvertently, and it's not, I guess, 
I never set out to intentionally do that. It was more just like, let's have more conversations about mm. mental, good mental Elevated, health yeah. and we can all learn from each other and, and I guess build up that toolbox of, of how to apply things when life kind of gets wobbly or whatever and you can never have too many tools in that box and we've all got something to offer. So that's how it all kind of started and um, I know that if someone reads another person's story that lives down the road, they're probably more inclined to reconsider, you know, maybe getting help or whatever. Mm. So that's really great. But So the process of the calendar is, um, you know, I when I speak to most farmers, I don't know who these people are and it's a bit of like um, a cold call on the phone. They'll be like, oh, yeah, they might have known about Gippsland Jersey and they'll know that we're sort of on about the mental health and, and we'll sort of flesh out and find out a bit about them and then they'll say yes or no to being involved and then we bring in um, a person who is actually a trained counsellor and she actually scribes their story and in that that's just a conversation for them to have the opportunity to um, indulge themselves in their story like I'm not sure how many people really have someone sit down in a very non-threatening kind of way mm. and just say, tell me about your story, you know, and, and then for them to be really brave and allowing that to be published. Um, and then, you know, we get the opportunity to go out onto their farm and to have their photos taken and for them to be like, wow, like, you know, this is, they're part of... It takes back a bit of control, doesn't it? It's sort of, you're back defining the narrative of your own story. Yeah. And... There's been a lot of really um, big things that have happened. Each person that's been featured in the calendar all has their own story to share about how their involvement in the calendar has changed the course of their life, potentially. Um, I was just at something the other day and one of the young guys that is featured in the calendar, his mum was there and she was just saying, you don't understand that, that that calendar at that time has changed the direction of his life because he was heard, he was listened to, and he was validated. And, um, you know, we've now got this messenger messenger group with 36 dairy farmers that all can talk to one another. It's got nothing to do with Sally Jones or Gippsland Jersey necessarily, but we have just, I guess, funneled everyone into this thing where it's their own little cohort of farmers that understand the value of good mental health. And they can all reach out and help each other, and they do. They ring each other, and the only way, the only reason they're connected is because of the calendar. Yeah. And um, the more and more people that just, I guess, are brave enough to share their own stories and to offer their help, then the less, um, you know, suicide's still a massive part of it. And there are, that's that's not the solution. Where there are. There is so much money and, and whatnot being poured into rural mental health. Um, I think this is the calendar. It's not just a calendar, but it's a really good example of showing how government can partner with um, industry to um, to to to, to um, have a really valuable tool. So you know, how many as um, are they going to get twelve dairy farmers walking in for counselling and you know. <laughs> I don't think so. Mm. Yeah, and it's, you know, it might have government, uh, it's, you know, government backing at some level, obviously industry backing at your level, but yeah. it's essentially creating community amongst farmers themselves, which is, you know, a lot of people say is something that's 
changed over the over the decades I guess as you know there's less farms bigger farms people further away from each other you know the school is less local um, that sense of community in rural areas that has receded to, you know over time building that back um, yeah it's huge really isn't it mm. oh I just it's such a rewarding part like to be um, to leave a legacy that um, creates you know yeah that connection for them and it is a lonely profession most of the time you know you're out there doing it and yeah to have this group where they can just do a bit of banter or mm. <laughs> all say that they're having a really crap day it's it's great and um it's i can all i can say is it's really got nothing to do with us now we've just created a bit of a movement well, thanks very much for your time, Sally. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I've got to let you uh, get out of here, and, um, and I hope everyone enjoys uh, listening to this. Thanks to Sally and John for that really stimulating chat. As mentioned earlier, the Situation and Outlook report is out for the March quarter, with business as usual the major theme. COVID-19 hasn't had the negative impact on the industry that many were predicting, with milk production and farm gate price remaining stable. You can read the whole report at dairyaustralia.com.au. That's it for this episode. As always, you'll find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud, and you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.